Today, we'll meet Tina, a half-Korean applied behavioral scientist. Tina is the biological mother of Emerson, a 19-year-old blonde, green-eyed basketball player. Once the virus struck and Emerson had to come home from college, their pre-existing political differences grew more and more dark and emotional, as did tensions around money, chores, tattoos, family gatherings, and which one of them is responsible for Emerson's schoolwork. At the end of my conversation with Tina, I'll expand on the purpose of brown fat in humans, explain how the philosophical and psychoanalytic concept of a belief being overdetermined applies to Emerson, and introduce an untranslatable word popular with German teenagers. First, a disclaimer. What you are about to listen to is not a professional counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation, and the advice I offer does not constitute psychological treatment or serve as a substitute for professional diagnosis, intervention, or behavioral health care. In order to protect their privacy, our guests have been given pseudonyms and some personal details have been changed. If you have concerns about your child's well-being or your own, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. Good places to start? Your child's pediatrician, the counseling staff at your child's school, and the American Psychological Association's Comprehensive Guide to Finding Resources in Your State. And now, on to the fun. Hey, Tina. Hi. Welcome, and thank you. And I'll tell you what I know. Okay. You have an 18-year-old son, Emerson, who's a freshman in college, and you have a 16-year-old stepson, David. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're a behavior analyst, but I'm not quite sure what that is, so tell us that first. <laughs> So I'm a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst, which just means that I have this extra training and education that's really gone into analyzing behaviors. Everything in human behavior can be broken down and there's always going to be something that happened before and something that happened afterwards. So antecedent behavior, consequence, and these all have a relationship to each other. And you can change behavior by looking at those three pieces. And it's a lot more complicated. There's a whole lot more science involved in it, but that's kind of the simplified version. So what are the ends that you are hired to do this for? I work within education. So I support classrooms and students and kids. And so you're studying what kinds of approaches or interventions work best with kids and what the good outcomes are? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of looking at social behaviors, analyzing academic behaviors, analyzing interactions. ABA and BCBAs are primarily associated with special education and autism. And so that's where I have spent a large amount of my professional life is kind of honing in on supporting those particular students and their families, guardians, advocating in particular in that world. So I would suggest that you have an occupational hazard as a parent, as did I, raising my children, which is we know too much. And sometimes it's challenging to separate your professional laser focus and analysis from a kind of natural and unfolding family life. Definitely, definitely. And there's always that irony also of like, a little bit of learned history from when I was growing up that kind of jumps in too, where I'm like, wait a minute, I am educated. I am intelligent. I have degrees and I should know better. I should be able to analyze these things and not let it get in the way. But so as a parent, it's the hardest challenge to our combination of intelligence and emotions of any arena you're going to be involved in in your life. And then 
those parents like we are who are trained in it beat ourselves up a little bit. Like, I should be able to understand this or intervene or have a good effect. So tell us what it is that you would like to talk about with me today. So in particular, it's my 18-year-old and the joy of having a child who is making that transition of being in high school to now independence and a young man in today's world being able to choose where he wants to go and being able to support him. All of that being somewhat interrupted greatly interrupted by COVID-19 and the ripple effect of politics and how that has really kind of influenced our dynamic. So this has really kind of been a very big deal over the past several months with my heavy belief in science. Within the world of ABA, we're very much science-based and it's very difficult to have a conversation with him because he is a Republican. He does believe in Trump. He does have access to a lot of social media and also extended family members who don't believe in COVID, who don't believe in vaccination, who don't believe that Biden won the election. There's so many layers of it. And so having a discussion, it's not just a difference in politics. It's not just a, hey, you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. It's so much more layered than that now. Because, for example, we just had the holidays and I was blamed for ruining Christmas and New Year's for the entire family by saying, we're not going to get together. We're not going to have a big celebration. I'm sorry. That's just dangerous and I'm not going to do it. And so it's very difficult to navigate him as an 18-year-old, as my child. He had to come back home. And so he's living in the home again. How do I parent him? How do I respect his independence? How do I respect this developmental milestone that I know is happening where he has to learn through mistakes and he has to learn through his adventures? But at the same time, I do believe in science and I do believe that we can't make these decisions that are very dangerous for our family. Any incident in the past couple of days? So it's spring break. Yep. So all of his friends went to like Colorado and they got an Airbnb and they're all hanging out together and he doesn't get to go. And how did you stop him from going? Well, it's his choice. If he wants to go, then he's going to quarantine for two weeks. He's going to have to find someplace else to stay. He'll have to live with them. I'm not going to financially support that. I'm not going to get him a hotel room or something like that. If he's making that decision, that's fine. But then he has to follow through with these pieces. And there are ways to minimize that quarantine time. You know, he can take the tests and all of that. But again, I'm not going to financially support that. You want to do spring break. You're now paying for spring break. You're also going to be paying for that time afterwards. And so spring break, teenage, freshman in college, he's not got a lot of cash for that. And I just want to remark on your tone because the way you said that and described it was such a beautiful illustration of natural consequences. And you didn't sound indignant or tense or fearful. Look, buddy, and you said it more nicely than I'm saying it right now. (laughs) If you want to go hang out with those friends of yours who are just going to infect each other and the rest of the planet, go right ahead. However, you will need to quarantine. Was there a big battle back and forth over this? Because the way you laid it out to me right now was so clear. Not this time, but we've actually had this battle so many times that I think that at this point... He almost walks into it knowing that we're going to have to have this discussion. I mean, it was a massive blowout at Thanksgiving first and then Christmas and then New Year's. So each time it's been very large. And I think he's starting to recognize I'm not going to budge on this. And also, again, that's your choice. And I'm honoring that you're an 18 year old. You absolutely are going to have to learn and make these choices. But where normally I can say, yes, I'm going to take you in my arms. You've made a mistake. There's something bad that's happened and I'm going to comfort you and hold you and then push you back out. In these instances, I cannot risk everybody else in the family just because you want to go party, which is normal, (laughs) but I'm not going to do that. Do you think that there's any tiny part of him that's relieved or appreciates that you're protecting him. And it may not be conscious, but you might be able to note it in some of his behaviors. For example, when he made the decision not to go to Colorado for spring break, did he continue to sulk? Did he talk to you in a very nasty tone of voice? Has he locked himself in his room or is he having his usual kind of interaction with you? This time, usual interactions. Definitely not any of the, like, sulking. And we joke about it. Like, 
with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, we joked afterwards and I was like, dude, you were like throwing a three-year-old tantrum. Other than you being on the floor, that was worthy of a three-year-old. That level of what you just went to was so crazy. And so we're able to have fun joking, talking and kind of working through it afterwards. But this time he didn't have any of that. There was nothing really over the top. Were you surprised? I was, and it was lovely. And I definitely held my breath and was like, don't ruin it. Don't say anything. Don't bring attention to it. (laughs) And this is so good because with so many of the families I work with, they over-talk because they're trying to sell the idea and they're waiting for their child or teenager or young adult to slap themselves on the side of the cheek and say, oh, thank you so much, mother, for enlightening me (laughs) about proper science politics and COVID etiquette. And I'm so fortunate to be your son and not someone else's. They will never, ever say that. No. But what happened here is you Dated your expectations, the restrictions, and the consequences in a, if you did it in as neutral a tone as you just did it with me, it was very effective. Yeah. Do the two of you talk about his beliefs and where they come from, just his argument for what he stands for? Before COVID, we were able to have a little bit better discussions about it not around Trump and his extremism, not that individual, but certain things we were able to have some discussions. We always came to a point where I would say something along the lines of, look, that's your belief system. And as long as you're not doing something hateful towards somebody, hurting someone, then I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to hope that you're going to look and read and continue to explore. The challenge is definitely that this generation has access to so much information and always recognizing what misinformation is, is not easy. And even if I tell him, well, that's actually not really facts, even though it says facts on it, even though the person who's talking to you says that it's based on science, it's not really science. And even though that person on TikTok says, well, based on psychology, blah, 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 it's not psychology. But I recognize me saying that it's not really always going to make that connection for him. It's never going to make that connection for him. (laughs) However, he may make that connection on his own at some point. Where do the two of you meet right now in interests, in enthusiasm? And it can be things on the web or anything in life, cooking or any kind of sport. So we're on Instagram together. So he'll send me funny things and I'll send him funny things. He has a girlfriend who's very lovely. And so we go to her games and things like that and whatever she's got going on. We talk about music a lot. What kind of music do you talk about? (laughs) He listens to a wide variety, which makes my heart very happy because I love music and it's a big part of what we've always done. We live in Texas and there's a lot of live music here. And so I've always taken him to live music and concerts and things like that. And so like in the morning, he'll get up and take a shower and he has his music turned up all the way. And it can be anything from like rap to Metallica to country to Christian music and Usually I can hear whatever the music is and I'm like, oh, it's that kind of a day or all right, you know, like this is where we're at. So he has a really wide range. And so we talk a lot about it and listen to it at the beginning of COVID when everything was shutting down. I went out and bought like a blow up screen and a movie projector so we could watch movies in the backyard. Have you done that? We have. Texas got a little bit cold there. Yeah, it did. (laughs) I'll say. So we haven't done it since it got cold. And then spring break. But yeah, my hope is to start doing it again next month. What was the best one that you both enjoyed before it got cold? He sometimes picks movies that he knows I'll get a kick out of. And then his stepbrother will get to pick movies and we all take turns kind of picking things. I'm trying to think what's the last one that we did that we all kind of just laughed out. And Indiana Jones, we watched the old school. Yeah, I acknowledge that's definitely more for me in my enjoyment than probably theirs. But the reason I'm asking about the movies and the music, because he's watching Indiana Jones for you, Mm -hmm. and you are listening to this rap music. (laughs) And this back and forth between you is how you fill up the bank of goodwill. Yeah. It is really difficult for parents of college freshmen who have had to come home. And in my practice, just the 
intensity of the stories and the despair and rage and confusion of some of these students is very dramatic. And here we have a guy who's in the house playing music, sending his mom stuff (laughs) through the day that he thinks is funny and watching movies with you while you have these two very, very different perspectives on politics and science. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in his history that for you it makes sense or is an explanation of why he may have adopted these views? And the reason I'm asking you is that a lot of the young men who have kind of joined this team are so interested in having a strong male identity. Yeah. This is the age where you form your identity, as you well know from your studies, and it fits so neatly. It's almost a a neat package, and they have an instant community, and that feels very defining to them and frightening to parents who see this as public, permanent, and life-threatening. Yes, For him in particular, so it was just he and I for a very long time. How did that happen? Tell us from the start. So our history, I'm Asian, and my mother is 100% Asian, so I'm half. And um, very rigid way that community is in certain ways of thinking. But I fell in love with a guy, and we were pregnant. And the day I told his dad that I was pregnant, I broke up with him because I didn't love him anymore. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so how old were you? 23. Okay, and this dad was not Asian? No, white, like very tall. Very tall. Very tall. Okay, Mm -hmm. a tall white guy. Mm -hmm. And you got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so similar to the way you just described the rules about holiday engagement. That if Emerson went to spring break, he would have to quarantine. So you said to this man, this relationship is over. Yes, we both knew it. When I called him, I said, you know, hey, you need to come over. We need to talk. He was like, just tell me on the phone. And I said, well, what do you think I'm going to say? He goes, well, we're breaking up, right? And I said, well, that, but also I'm pregnant. And he was like, I'm on my way. We worked it out and we never got together. We never got married or anything like that. I never had a really serious boyfriend. I was very focused on my child and jobs and school and knocking all of that out and establishing, you know, a really safe place for us. And so then I think that he grew up with a very strong world filled with women and educators. I'm going to back you up a tiny bit here. Does he know this story? And does he have any relationship with his father? He does. And he has a good relationship with his dad. His dad lives very close by. We have a very, very good working relationship together on everything. If something happens, I'm like, this is going on. Can he come over or should he come over? He'll call him. Like, they're really great at communicating together. I think, you know, as you get older, it changes a little bit. And he's got the appropriate amount of distance from his dad right now that I would hope to see a little bit of that independence, not having to rely on him as much. I'm really looking forward to some of that happening for us in our relationship, you know, but... That he would rely on you less? Yeah, that point where you're starting to become more independent and wanting to try to figure these things out on your own, stand on your two feet, not have to always kind of come back and get some of the assistance that he has to get from me. But he's making his way and he's learning. So we know that he didn't live with his mom and dad growing Mm -hmm. up. And you said it was just the two of you. So when it was just the two of you, how was that? It was lovely. I have a very good group of friends. I'm very close to my family. So he's always had a really good relationship with my mom and my stepdad and my sister. And we've always been very close to each other, spending all holidays. Except this one. I know that I ruined All holidays, we've always been together. We've always done everything as a unit, no matter where we are. So holidays, birthdays have always been very big deals in our family. And this year, that has not happened. And it's so hard for him for a couple of reasons. One is he thought he was springing free. For sure. And going off into his whole new exciting life. And then he's back home without the customs and comfort and closeness 
that he was very accustomed to in this very tight-knit family. And now we have some factions of political belief and social belief that he defines as ruining Christmas. Yeah. And he's also getting reinforcement from my in-laws who also don't believe in COVID or vaccinations or Biden or all of that. And so they are texting him outside and having conversations with him and doing other things that I disagree with. I love the way you said, don't believe in Biden. (laughs) Don't believe in COVID. Don't believe in Biden. (laughs) It's just a a cardboard cutout that they keep parading in front of a podium. So in-laws, meaning your current husband's parents, is that who? Yes. And his sister and her family also. So my husband's side of the family, so his dad, mom, sister, they all very much don't believe in COVID, don't believe in the science or vaccinations or wearing masks or any of that. And they have conversations with him and text him and they had plans to get together. And I said, well, that's, again, your choice. They're going to get together. We have already told them we're not going to. They're going to get together. If you want to go, then you're going to be staying with them for two weeks until we know that no one is sick and then you can have a negative COVID test and come back home. But again, we were clearly the bad guys in that situation. The bad guy was you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just by yourself? Well, I'm the one who is saying it. Yeah. 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 So here's the tricky spot right now. You are wishing for him to have more independence and to kind of launch himself. And at the same time, he's had to come home from college and live at home. And he has this set of beliefs that are different than yours. But the advantage of the beliefs for him is that they would allow him to run free more than he is. And so you have this really nice bond of culture and music and humor. What are specific things that you would like to see him do independently that you're both still in the habit of you doing and you continue to do because it's easier than duking it out with him? Right now, probably helping him to stay organized with school. It's been very convenient for him to rely on me to prompt him through school. I recognize that I've created some prompt dependency there and I've reinforced that. And I recognize also that there's a little tiny piece of me that is like, quality time. (laughs) But I know that he has to start learning how to manage that on his own. Did you use the phrase prop dependency? Prompt? What is prompt dependency? Prompt dependency. So it's there and it requires someone verbally prompting you or physically prompting you, literally prompting you. So I give him like a text message prompt. I verbally tell him. Sometimes I will greet him with a laptop and be like, hey, so we're going to be spending the next hour together and I'll be sitting right here and you'll be sitting right there doing your homework. The question I have is, does he need what you're doing for him? And can you do it with no ambivalence? Our first semester last fall, I really tried to be like, do you want my assistance? Do you want help? Let me know. I'm here. I'm happy to help you. And he said he had it. And then he got kicked out of three classes, dropped by the college. And I went, okay, so I've let you try. And you weren't successful. So now you have a choice. You can either choose to not do school, which is fine. You're going to have to either work full time. That's okay. Did you mean that? Yeah, absolutely. 1000%. Because people take a gap year. School isn't for everyone. His passion and joy does not have to be books and reading. He can do anything. But he can't just sit at home and party and just hang out. You're going to have to do something. And so you have to balance this. You're either going to work full time. You're either going to go to school. If you choose to go to school, then I'm going to help you. I'm not going to sit next to you all the time, but I'm going to help you get on track. I'm going to make sure that you're keeping up with what you need to do. And so we really had a discussion about it. I did make a little mistake where I tried to do a behavior contract with him, (laughs) which did not work out well for either one of us. Tell us what it is and tell us what you did. So I tried to write a behavior contract where I said, this is the defined behavior we're going to do. When he was younger, I had this belief that if he did something and it was 
a conscious decision to do something wrong, not a mistake, not a life lesson, but an actual like I chose to do the A, B or C, then he always had a consequence and he could choose from a menu of them. So for example, like, okay, you did that. Do you want to lose the Xbox, no TV, or do I get to pick out your outfits? Which one of these three do you want? (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what the outfits were because it sounds like that was a little bit of a bone of contention there about choice of outfits. So he always wanted to wear athletic clothes, Mm -hmm. no matter what the weather. It was always these like athletic shorts and like t-shirts. And I'm like, you have all of these lovely things that I spend my little bit of money on. You could wear any of these others. Instead, you're insisting on wearing these athletic shorts, which is fine. But now I'm doing laundry because we only have so many of those multiple times during the week to kind of keep up with them. I want to interrupt for one moment to say something about the strange desire of youth to wear shorts in cold weather. They don't get as cold as adults because they have more brown fat. And the reason for that is biological and survival. Babies can't shiver. And so they are covered with brown fat that we lose over the course of our lives. But it so puzzles the parents of youth to see that they are not wearing a jacket or a hat or gloves. And it seems a combination of willful and dumb. And actually, they are not as cold as their parents are. But this had also to do with laundry. You just blew my mind. No one has ever in all... I have a bachelor's degree in family and child development. No one has ever in any of my training or education mentioned this about kids. I can literally imagine now like how ridiculous I sounded to him or how we've all sounded to our kids. You know, anyone who's listening to this who has kids that you fought that battle with, like, oh, okay. Nurture versus Nurture will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you are feeling depressed or struggling with relationships or having difficulty sleeping or meeting your goals, BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. As a clinical psychologist and psychotherapist, I hear the inside dope on the mental health needs of the community and the resources available. When people seeking psychotherapy try to find an in-network provider, they often find out that that person has no availability. Out-of-network can become very expensive. BetterHelp, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash nurture. Visit betterhelp.com slash nurture and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. Everybody's having trouble sleeping now. The kids are getting into bed with their parents. Parents are lying down with kids until they fall asleep. Today's politics, the pandemic. All the other worries that go swirling around in our heads, it's hard to get a good night's sleep. A Helix mattress is one solution. Helix has a quiz that takes two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the right mattress for you. Order your mattress and it comes right to your door shipped for free. You may not need to go to a mattress store ever again. The Helix mattress the company sent to me is beautiful, it's comfortable, it's generous, and just the right amount of firm and soft. Just go to helix.com slash nurture, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free if you don't love it they will pick it up for you. Helix is offering up to $200 
off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash nurture. That's helixsleep.com slash nurture for up to $200 off and two free pillows. And that's the wonderful part of learning. You know a lot about child development. This is a little bit of the science of child development. It allows us to step back and give up certain battles. But this one also had to do not just with him keeping himself warm enough. It also had to do with laundry. And I love that you chose that as one of the consequences. Yeah, because it was meaningful. And so you tried to do it about the academic work in college, a behavioral contract. Yeah, to say like, okay, what are things that motivate you? What are things that you want right now? And so since you're in school, you don't have to work full time. How about this? You every week knock out your online school assignments or something like that. What would be something that would motivate you to do that? And so we had discussions about motivation and what tied into it. He's unfortunately very savvy to some of this language and he'll (laughs) use it against me. (laughs) Good. So what did he say? Well, he was like, you know, well, mom, a really great motivator would be like $100. And I was like, no. And he goes, well, that's the strongest one. $100 and 17 tattoos on top. So speaking of that, and I know in parenting for our generation, it's definitely changed. Tattoos are not that big of a deal. And and this was something my sister and I talked about. Rebellion for her and I, when we stepped away from my mom, who was very conservative in our culture, Asian culture, was getting tattoos. And so we have tattoos it is not now abnormal for kids to have tattoos. And so he has them. And I actually had to have a discussion with him because he was using money that he was getting from my in-laws and buying tattoos instead of using it to pay for rent or pay for bills. And so... Okay, stop. Because I'm really enjoying following the track of your logic and your natural consequences that you actually apply. Does he pay rent? He is now because he has a job that he makes enough money to do that. So... He finally has a job that he's keeping, that he's showing up for, that he's very happy at. And so I take his paycheck and I put it towards rent. The whole paycheck? Whatever he has. Where does his spending money come from now? He earns it. He has to do things. So the job is for rent Mm -hmm. and the spending money comes from chores and contributions to the public good in the household? Mm -hmm. Specifically to me. (laughs) Uh-huh. And what are those things? So they can be anything in the home as far as like vacuuming. We have a two-story house, so I hate vacuuming the stairs. So you're going to vacuum the stairs, you're going to vacuum upstairs, taking care of the dogs, giving them a bath. We have a very large dogs, and so being able to take care of them is very helpful for me. Running to the store, things like that. My son, who's not a fan of fake Biden is so excited about this check that's coming, the stimulus check, and they call it STEMI, the kid and his friend. And so he's been constantly asking me for when his STEMI is coming in. And I'm like, oh, sweet boy, that STEMI is not yours. It's going towards rent. (laughs) You're not going to see any of it. So the behavioral contract failed how? I had no consequence for when he didn't follow through. So I didn't have something that was strong enough to say, okay, I'm going to choose to do this. It's worth the work. It's worth the demand. And then when he didn't follow through... I didn't have a meaningful consequence to be like, hmm. (laughs) And I tried all the stuff beforehand, talking to him, putting in a schedule, prompting him, sending him reminders, setting it up so that when he got home from something, I was like, hey, laptop's open. All you have to do is go in there and knock it out. And all of those manipulations that I could do beforehand did not work. How much do you resent or enjoy the help you're giving him now? The reason I'm asking this is I see a lot of kids go off to college and they're sending their papers home to be edited by their parents and their (laughs) parents are so thrilled to finally write the paper about Hamlet that they were not ready to write when they were 19. And so there's a combination of codependence and co-satisfaction, but it is not entirely ethical or appropriate, and the students are not becoming independent learners. So one professor told me that early on, and now everybody's more savvy than this, the parents were editing the papers, sending them back to the student who would send it 
to the professor with the track changes view still on Microsoft Word, and so it would be very clear who had written that paper. Is there enjoyment that you're getting in joining your minds together and doing this work? Are you irritated throughout the day, or is it pretty smooth right now? And I know he's on spring break, Mm -hmm. so before that started, while he was still in the semester and working at his job. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's a pretty great job, but... What's the job? He works in retail. Does he have a personality? Yes. He's got a very big personality. So when he was little, teachers would tell him, don't worry about doing that. You're going to be so successful because you're friends with everyone. You have such great social skills. And that's what they say makes it in the world. Wait, wait, wait. So they would say, don't worry about doing what? Your schoolwork? Yeah. When he would only like half it or not do really well at it. Did you beat those teachers up? I try really hard to support our educators, but there are some that I'm just like, what, what? (laughs) Yeah. And again, this is the new paradox of our cultural moment. And supporting teachers is, I'm constantly beating parents up to support teachers. It's nearly my full-time job. But for the boys, if they're not redshirted for academics, which is the new trend. So for our audience members who don't know about this, boys used to be redshirted for sports, so they would be Mm -hmm. older in their grade and could compete. And now they're redshirted for academics because a lot of them are not quite ready Mm -hmm. for the demands of the early elementary years because what is taught in the kindergarten curriculum now used to be taught in second grade. And so we have boys older and older and older in their grades to be able to keep up with the work. It is actually the one thing I tell my friends who have young children. When they have little ones, I say, this is my one thing that I'm going to tell you. If you have a kiddo that's at this age, keep him back. Do not push him forward. Don't think that, oh, he's got it. He's got No, hold him back. So his ability to handle this job, to do his work, the amount and proportion and quality of work that you expect him to do without you reminding or nagging him or getting annoyed, what does the balance look like right before spring break started? So it's fantastic because he's taking two classes that I am not going to write anything for him. What are they? What's content? Oh, well, one's human sexuality. So that's just straight up an awkward conversation with your mom, and I'm not going to read some of those things. (laughs) Because you would feel embarrassed? I'm great. We actually have a very open relationship. We've always talked a lot. I've been very clear with him about sexuality. But this is like, in the text, they talk about masturbation and how do you masturbate and how do you get your partner off? And he has a girlfriend. And so just that conversation, like when I opened it up, it was like, you have to do these three things, right? And so I tell him, make sure you knock out all of these three. And one of them was a paper on sexuality with your partner or person or, you know, historically. And I was like, I'm not writing that. I'm not reading that. It's a perfect class because I can't become that stereotypical like helicopter parent and just try to put my hands way too much into it. The other class that he's taking is a criminal justice class. And we have such extreme differences in what we believe within that world. And so there's no way I'm helping him with anything in that either. So it's literally open up the course and I say, hey, don't forget you have to do this, this and this. And so he writes it and... I want nothing to do with what he puts on paper. And I don't want you to have much to do with what he puts on paper either. However, these two subjects, if you can take the perspective of the innocent but hungry for knowledge bystander who is not related to this boy, he just happens to be boarding in your house for a couple of months, and he's taking a class in criminal justice and human sexuality, and he has some very unusual beliefs that are fascinating to you. Because the two of you have such a nice fellowship between you, and there's so much warmth, and there's just a lot of collegiality, either of these subjects, if you approach it with calm curiosity, it will give you some insight into why he may hold some of these beliefs, especially in the criminal justice area. Do you have a sense of where in his history, in his childhood, in his character, in his temperament, some of these 
beliefs fit, why they make sense for Emerson? I think that for some of the things, just similar to like a teacher telling him, like, don't worry about academics, you're going to be fine in the world because you're very social. Where we are is somewhat diverse, but not a lot. And he does not look Asian at all. He's very much like his dad, blonde hair, green eyes. And so no one believes that, you know, I'm his mom, that he has an Asian parent or grandparent or anything like that, because he doesn't look that way, right? And so very early on, people were telling him, you're bad because you're white and you're a white guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so how old, what form did it take, and how did he process that and bring it home to you, and how did you learn about it? So like as early as like second, third grade, around that same time. So being told like, well, you're wrong and and you're the bad guy because you're white and you have blonde hair and you don't like me because I'm a girl or you're going to try and keep me from having blah, blah, blah. And he's had lots of friends who are from so many different cultures and backgrounds. But I think the one piece that has been consistent is, unfortunately, incidences that happened within the LGBTQ world. And so my family is very religious. My mother is very religious. And then my husband's family is very religious. And so there's that influence also. So the LGBTQ world assumed he would have certain prejudices or beliefs or he did? So there was an incident that happened where he was walking in the hallway and two girls were holding hands and, you know, they were little girlfriends. And he wasn't paying attention. Him and his friends were just not paying attention. And he bumped into them and he didn't handle it well. And we had a discussion about that and it just continued. There was another incident in high school where someone posted some really terrible things about him and said that he was coming after them because he was anti-LGBTQ. And he actually knew he was going to be attacked. And so he took screenshots of conversations And he was like, I did not say what they're telling you. I said, they snipped it and they cut out so they could show it to you. Here's the actual thing that I said. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, exactly. But the fact that he felt like he had to take those pictures, I was like, that's only the tip of what you're showing me. So I can't imagine what else is in that iceberg of what you process or have processed that you don't share with me in this interaction that you may have had. And his dad and um, his dad's wife, they have friends that are lesbians or gay and then are very committed relationships and are lovely people. And so it's always been very difficult to be like, but you know so-and-so and you like them and you've had them in your life for so long. Like, how is this happening? Like, how do you make these two things match, right? And so part of what we hope for youth to do is generalize oh, I know these people, I respect them, I enjoy them, and therefore that category is one that's going to expand in my mind as people I trust and honor and connect with. And that takes time. And partly because we get so siloed in order to feel that we have identity. Again, it has to do with being 18 and wanting to feel so strongly that you are something and not nothing yet. Mm -hmm. And this boy has such a rich and layered and complicated history, ethnic identity, social identity, very close family with factions within it. What is his relationship with your mother? So we have not seen them in about a year. My stepdad, right before COVID, we found out that he has Alzheimer's. Oh, sorry. And so there's that added layer where he rapidly started to forget who we were and was having a lot of difficulty. And I think that um, if COVID had not happened, we probably would have made some difficult choices about where he would live right now. Instead, he's at home with my mom full time. And we have not seen them because it's just too risky. He's in his late 80s. And so it's just too dangerous for us to possibly expose either one of them um, in any way. Does Emerson have any connection with your mother, not seeing her physically, but do they FaceTime? Do they send each other any kind of messages? Used to, used to before this year. Yeah, for sure. My assumption is that it's difficult for him to see her in this situation I talk to my mom every morning and it's basically a chance to make sure that one, they're both still alive and okay. 
and safe because there have been times where it's been, okay, you need to call 911 or you need to go to the hospital or you need to make these kind of decisions. And so I know that there may be a little bit of avoidance of something. There is so much that he's going through right now. So many layers of trauma that are occurring. You're a senior in high school and guess what? You don't get to have prom. You don't get to have graduation. You don't get to have a normal start to college. You don't get to have all these things. And then on top of it, by the way, your grandparents who are you extremely close with and we've always spent all of our time with, you can't see and one of them no longer remembers your name. So I imagine there's a little bit of fear that comes into play with that. Nurture versus nurture. We'll be right back. I've been reading about fashion and feminism, and a theme is how much women have suffered from foot discomfort caused by their shoes from the earliest days. The most important characteristic of Rothy's shoes is their comfort. They make comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags, carefully crafted with eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. Rothy's has transformed over 75 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. The shoes are also fully machine washable, so how convenient to be able to throw your children's muddy or stained shoes into the washing machine and see them come out looking good as new. Check out these shoes right now at rothys.com slash nurture. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash nurture. Style sustainability, and comfort. Head to rothys.com slash nurture today. Spring is upon us and we're starting to come out of our year-long hibernation. This is a good time to take care of essential business so you and your family can feel more secure and begin to explore the world freely once again. Shopping around for life insurance is not on people's list of uplifting or fun activities, but having insurance feels really secure. Here's how to get started. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy and answer any questions you have along the way. Their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies. All the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice are free to use. So while you're tidying up around the house this spring, you can get your insurance needs organized too. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's good to get it right. The reason I was asking about your mother is sometimes for teenagers, the opportunity to spend time with much younger relatives, little cousins, little neighbors, and grandparents allows them not to have to be cool Mm -hmm. and not to have to take certain poses or postures or stance, even politically. So this connection with your mom that was, it sounds, warm and relaxed Mm -hmm. before. So this has shifted the quality of her days and your concern for her. When you talk to her each morning, do the two of you share any silly or superficial things? Do you make her laugh? Does she make you laugh? Yeah, 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 yeah. We talk every morning when she's walking in the neighborhood. And so we... Good for her. Yeah, she walks every day. And so I always do a check-in and say, how was last night? What happened? And then ask her, you know, what she did during the day, the day before. And then we talk about TV shows. (laughs) So I shared my Netflix password with her, but I know Netflix is getting rid of that (laughs) feature. But haven't gotten rid of it yet. And you are not the only one, like half of Netflix... (laughs) I wish people could see you right now because you just took your collar and covered up your face like a mask. Okay, so you watch the same movies? 
Yeah. Like when I found Ted Lasso, I was like, mom, you got to watch this. And so we were talking about that and laughing and she's, oh, he's so funny. And I was like, yeah, it's great. She's so cute when she watches television shows and movies because she talks to them like they're right there with her. Oh. And so when we're having conversations, she'll be like, well, I just know he did A, B, or C. And I'm like, he's not your friend, but I love that you think he is. And yes, okay, let's go with that. Actually, he is her friend right now for a couple of reasons. So in this pandemic quarantine, many, many families have expanded their bubble through the characters in the shows they're watching because they're not wearing masks Mm. and they're fun to look at either because they're beautiful or funny looking and they say great stuff because really good writers wrote the scripts and it's captivating storytelling and we needed them. And you get to gossip about them without gossiping about real people. So your mom is totally in it. She is doing this in the perfect pandemic style also because she is dealing with heartbreak, heartache, and worry about the future. So as attached as she can be to Ted, the better. Does she ever say things that tickle you that you then tell Emerson? Yes, because she'll find something like she found, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it now, but the Netflix show where it's the two older women and something in Grace or something like that. And there's a lot of like sex jokes and things like that. And she'll be like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, well, mom, do you want to know? And then we'll talk about it and joke and I'll show her on FaceTime or something. And I'll be like, guess what your grandma just learned about? And so we'll just die laughing. And And that's actually talking about sex with him, too. Yes. Yeah. Because that's a nice, racy, forthright show. Oh, yeah. And through your mother, you are reaching your son to make relaxed jokes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So for this rhythm and intensity of supervising Emerson's work, I want to just focus on that little spot between being grateful that you have the skill and technique to support your son and resenting that this 18-year-old is behaving below his years in how much he's depending on you. I want to see how to keep your aggravation level down Mm -hmm. because this is your spring break too. And I know you don't get off from work during this time and you have a lot of responsibility. Let's actually talk about that for a minute. What have you been doing over these past few weeks that is a really enjoyable change of the channel from Emerson's workload responsibilities, whether or not he vacuumed the stairs or the carpeting, your job, your stepfather's dementia and how much it has progressed. And you haven't said anything about David, your stepson, but I imagine there's got to be some kind of worry channel that runs in your head because he's a teenager and also your relationship with your husband. So a lot of stuff. Tell me where the fun is. So I have to be honest, I'm also in a doctoral program. So there's also that factor. I don't have a lot of extra time, but what I do give myself, my best friend, does not live here in the United States. And so we talk to each other. And usually that has been a real joy for me. We've known each other since we were babies. And so that connection has just been so seamless throughout our journey from kids to teenagers, to adults, to parents. And so we can just kind of pick up at any point during the day. And then I love movies and TV and music. And so sometimes I turn on music and I just dance in the living room for like 15 minutes. Like I get done with class and I'm like, I just need to stop sitting. And so I'll just turn on some songs and dance with it. Or I love Resident Alien, which is a TV show. It's super funny. I'll watch that and laugh. Um, So there's little things that I do. And these are not little things. These are actually big things because they set a profound example for your children of why it's worthwhile to become an adult. That when you're an adult, your life is not just worrying about your children, monitoring them and fretting and pressing them to make good choices, that there is friendship, old friendship. You and that friend have so many shared references from the time you were 
four, which is probably the age you can remember most vividly, the beginning of that friendship. So you have a lifetime of memories. They are seeing you also listen to music and dance and your pleasure in entertainment. And this sends a message indirectly and directly that, hey, being an adult, having an interesting job, getting a doctorate, believing in science, and Emerson is not going to say that out <laughs> loud, but he knows it. Having a very civilized relationship and just nice etiquette and rules of engagement with his father that you are not in any kind of legal or formal mm -hmm. relationship with, all of this sets an example for him of grace and pleasure in adult life. Well, that's lovely. I love that. And parents don't think about that very much. They are so focused on making sure that their kids are up to snuff in every area, their academics, their mood, their physical health, and all of this is important. But the other piece is the way you get the fuel to be able yeah. to do that generously, which is why I mentioned before that the way to catch yourself is the things you're doing ambivalently because they smell the resentment and it <laughs> makes them slightly humiliated and dependent and not feel their own strength and dignity. So we have this tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, is he an athlete? Yes, very much uh, so. Athlete popular guy who the teacher said he never has to worry about his studies. And he can look at his mother and think, you know, getting to adulthood may not be a bad place to go. Yeah, it's a journey. And I really hope that he is enjoying. I, and I've told him, I want you to enjoy this time. I want you to enjoy the experiences. And I know it's hard to have fun right now, but I want you to have fun. It just has to be balanced. And finding that balance is really hard for everybody, no matter what age you are. And so I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> I'm just trying to put some of these things in place for you. And you help him have fun as he sees you having fun. And in no way do I mean neglecting your responsibilities, but you are so far from that in so many areas. When we tell them, teenagers, to have fun, their first thought is, you do not understand what fun is at <laughs> all, person from another century, and you are not allowing me to have any of the fun I would like to have at the same time that you recognize that some of that fun might lead to death. Yeah, that's definitely one of the conversations. I mean, I recognize drinking and smoking pot or, you know, whatever along those lines, and those are all areas that he's going to explore. What we've always talked about is you have a very addictive personality. Once you find something, it's very easy for you to really love it and it's hard for you to stop. And so just be aware that if you decide to experiment with drugs, you have limitations on these pieces. And so just be careful about those. We've always said, you need help. I'm going to show up. I'm going to try and help you at any point in time. We'll have to have a discussion about how you got to that point where you had to ask me for help. But, you know, I'm happy to help you at any point in time if you need it. And he's had situations that have happened where I have jumped in and assisted him in his problem solving certain things that have come up between him and his friends. But boundaries, again, tell my friends that are younger. And I heard you say this one time, raising a little one, you think, oh, gosh, this is so hard. I cannot wait for them to get older. It's so much easier when they get older. I remember when he was 15 and then he turned 16. I was like, they lied. This is not easy. <laughs> when they get older, it is not easy. I thought it was supposed to get easier when they get older. It didn't. <laughs> it's just a different type of challenge. It's much harder. The little ones are easy. And now young adulthood is hard, too. Yeah. Because the structure, even for your generation, the path was easier than it is for young people now, even separate from the pandemic and mm -hmm. separate from political divisions and infighting, separate from the economy. It's the combination of the evolution of technology and its influence on our lives and all kinds of awareness that people did not have about social justice and inequality are shaking things up 
so much that the young people look around and they say, what is my path? What's a path for a person like me? It's very hard for them to imagine themselves five years from now or 10 years from now. The wonderful part about that is the flexibility. And the thing that always comes to my mind is how parents used to be so upset if a young person had a job for a short time. And they would say, even at the beginning of LinkedIn, they would say, oh, don't put that on there because (laughs) future employers will be upset to see that. And now there's just a way of thinking about it is the freedom they have Mm. and the directions they can go in. But we can't predict it for them because we haven't been in this culture at this moment. Yeah, that's the big thing. My husband definitely does say things like, well, when I was that age, this was never going to be okay. My parents would never have been okay with that. I can't believe, you know, these things are happening and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, we are not in the same world. Like, He's in such a overstimulated, there's so much information coming at him. How is he supposed to filter through some of these things and understand like there's always that opportunity for each generation to take in the information and to process it. But there's so much coming at them constantly all the time. I remember when he first got a cell phone, having a discussion with him, like, you should not sleep with this. They all do. They all are texting their friends up until the minute they fall asleep and watching or doing TikToks or whatever. And it's it's a true battle, all the stimulation that they're taking in constantly. And it's very easy to judge the parts of it that we're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. So it can seem as though our children have been abducted and stolen by the devices, and we will never be able to influence them or get them back. You and your son are so close that your perspective can be that he's an ambassador to this very interesting, rapidly changing, rich world of possibilities. It will help him let you lead him as he is leading you. Yeah, yeah. It's always been like that because I was a younger mom. And so seeing and hearing what his friends would talk about, I'd be like, okay. And I'd pick up on some of those little cultural aspects and Even now when he and his friends are talking, I'm like, what was that? (laughs) So getting a chance to listen and learn just about what they are talking about and what they think and how they process everything. It's very valuable. Just the example, was it Stimmy? Is that what the (laughs) they're calling the text? Like, that's charming and interesting. (laughs) I didn't know it. He taught you that. He's excited about it. You never got a stimulus check. And so we have a different lexicon, different practices, different saves Mm -hmm. when the culture gets in a pit or, you know, hits a speed bump. And you travel alongside him at the same time knowing that without certain restrictions, he is at risk Mm -hmm. and that he's going to make mistakes. And you seem to have a very calm and thoughtful approach to this challenge. It's a big challenge. It is. And they write so many books about what to do for potty training and all these other things that I'm like, what do you do when they're 18? (laughs) Yep. I recommend to you, although you don't need it, but I recommend to all of our listeners, Mark McConville's book, Mm. Failure to Launch. And it's a book about young adults who are having trouble getting their footing. And it's such a respectful and thoughtful book. So there's starting to be a literature. Julie Lithgott-Hames has written a book called How to Raise an Adult. She has a new book coming out about being an adult. Mm -hmm. So adulting is a phase of child development and lifespan development that we're Mm -hmm. finally starting to think about and talk about. I love it. I love it. Tina, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much for your time. You're you're welcome. In an enlightening New York Times article called Why Your Kid Wears Shorts in Winter, journalist Jessica Gross explains why children have both survived and thrived during pandemic outdoor birthday parties. Research from endocrinology and studies of metabolism yield the answer. In order to make the transition from the warm waters of the womb to the cold, cold world, infants develop a layer of brown fat, especially around their adorable necks, that keep them warm when they're sleeping. Because they don't have enough muscle mass to shiver, they need this powerful little internal furnace. 
children retain brown fat. Plus, they have lots of energy. They jump up and down, dash about, poke and push each other in play. Hence, they're resistant to wearing a hat, gloves, or long pants. In contemporary philosophy, an event or state of affairs is said to be overdetermined if it has two or more distinct sufficient causes. In Freudian psychoanalysis, the term refers to a symptom or state of mind that has multiple contributing factors. This perspective helps explain young Emerson's political views. They may serve as a defense against past hurt, the trauma of being singled out and mocked for his gender and race in childhood, as a balm, B-A-L-M, for the anguish of losing so many rich community ties, his high school and varsity basketball team chums, his fresh new college friends, and the members of his close-knit congenial family who share these conservative values. Another possible contributing factor His right-wing views offer what he sees as a neat package of strong, confident male identity. Think of the name of the organization, Proud Boys. And finally, he's a teenager whose job it is to, here's another psychological term, individuate from parents. In Emerson's case, a mother he's been so close to for so long and to whom he now feels tethered because of the challenge of keeping up with remote schooling. And Tina understands this. In her application to be on this show, she wrote, Historically, I understand that this is what has happened for families for generations. Growing up, kids would become Democrats despite Republican parents. Treating Emerson as an interesting idea ambassador instead of a misguided brainwashed dolt, Tina can continue their dialogue by asking, What do you think causes these problems? If you were in charge, what would you do first? And we can all visit the website braverangels.org, an organization devoted to finding common ground among polarized Americans by moving them from hatred or disdain to respect and mutual appreciation. The German word Sturmfrei, S-T-U-R-M-F-R-E-I, literally storm-free, was originally a military term meaning impregnable, unable to be stormed, but now it has a very specific colloquial meaning popular with teenagers, being alone at home and having the ability to do what you want, the freedom of not being watched by a parent or superior, having the house to yourself, especially if your parents have left for the weekend, a turn of events that Emerson would appreciate right about now. (laughs) 